When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome to the show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-hosts and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. I'm joined this week by Rebecca of simplyrebecca.com, and we have such a great episode planned for you. Rebecca has brought along a very special guest to join us this week. Her husband, Nate, will be coming on the show in just a bit. You all have asked to hear more from the Sorta Awesome Husbands, and we are so thankful that Nate has taken the time to come on the show and talk about his work as an executive director for a homeless shelter in their community. So we're going to ask Nate to share his wisdom on that in just a few minutes. But first, let's start the show the way we always do with Awesome of the Week. Rebecca, what do you have for us this week? My awesome of the week is that I have solved the cup chaos problem that was happening in my house. Oh my gosh, this is very exciting. Well, yes, it is. And I don't know about you and your many children, but we (laughs) were having an overflowing cup problem in our house that our refrigerator was overtaken with drinks. Mm Mm-hmm. They didn't always have lids. Right. They sometimes would be spilling everywhere. It was disgusting. Oftentimes, I would find empty cups in the refrigerator with, like, absolutely nothing in them. Sure, yeah. It was, yeah, it was chaotic. So, we also were using a lot of plastic cups that I didn't really feel great about because of the questionable safety of drinking out of plastic often. So, I went with Thermos Funtainer stainless steel water bottles. Oh my goodness. First of all, I'm so excited that you were able to weed through all of the options and find one that you really like, because I know when I start shopping for new cups, I get completely overwhelmed by all the choices. So tell us more about this. Well, I, I had help. I asked, um, some of our colleagues and friends and Nicole Bennett from NicoleVBennett.com. She told me that she loves these thermos funtainers. So uh, they come in 12 ounce or 16 ounces and I got the 12 ounce options for my kids. They have a press button lid that like it flips open and then it's a straw inside. They are, um, okay, they keep water really cold. They're double insulated so that they don't sweat. They do kind of have a little bit of a leaking issue. Apparently, they redesigned the lid, and these new lids, they do leak when they're on their side. So it's not a great lunchbox option. Okay. But for everyday use, they're perfect, like in your house or even on a car trip or, you know, going to the park. And so that's why I use them for all the time. My kids, we have two of them. We have two kids, and they each have their own cup, and so they have their... Each person has their own color, so there's no more fighting meltdowns over, well, I want a 
this yes. cup. I know. I'm all I mean, too familiar. Yes. Yeah. Right? Right? <laughs> so it really has solved a lot of those problems for us. So we only put water in them, and mm-hmm. they're just full all the time in the refrigerator. Somebody's thirsty. Go get your cup. And then this is one of the most brilliant parts about it all is that we have a shelf in our refrigerator door designated just for kid cups. Oh, that's so smart. That's a great hack. Yes. There are no more cups like being bumped by the jug of milk. Right. You know, getting hidden around by the watermelon or whatever you have in your refrigerator. I don't know. But it's perfect and I'm loving it. And it has really cut down on a lot of the stress over drinks and water in our house, which should not be stressful. But oh my word, anything it feels like can be stressful when you're a mom. (laughs) No, it is. It's totally stressful. I feel like I have one foot in each parenting world when it comes to the cup situation because my older girls are obviously old enough to just come in the kitchen and get a cup out of the cabinet and fix their own drinks. And that is a wonderful place to be. But of course, the twins, they're newly three. And so I am constantly like, where's the cups? Where's the sippy cup? They can drink out of regular cups, but I almost would prefer that they not because it's right. such nope. a mess. I understand. So yeah, yeah, it definitely can cause stress, but I am loving this recommendation. So the 12 ounce bottles are $15. Okay. And again, I said they're stainless steel. So there's Stainless steel has widely been accepted as a safer alternative to plastic, so you can feel good about that. They also have a 16-ounce option that's $18 that you can get for yourself or for your older kids in your house. And if you want to look it up on Amazon, you can go to storetoawesomeshow.com slash Amazon to look for them there. That's where I got mine, but I'm sure you can find them in other retail stores also. And I love them. That is so great. So great. I love it. And it's actually perfect timing as we're going into spring and summer when people need drinks with them all the time. So... Fantastic, Rebecca. Thank you for that. Well, mine this week is an ebook that I downloaded and it was free. I got it a few weeks ago. It's called The Ultimate Self Care Guide for Highly Sensitive Parents. Rebecca, you and I, you know, we've talked about this highly sensitive business on the show before. I have written about it when I was blogging. So when I came across this, I was so excited. Honestly, it is such a hefty ebook filled with so much. I would have gladly paid for this. But as it turns out, it's free. Wonderful. I love free. Yeah, yeah. So it's written by a woman named Karen Monster Peters, who is a psychologist. She is also she does life coaching and parenting coaching. So she really knows her stuff when it comes to looking at the actual science and the research of what it means to be a highly sensitive person, and then taking that information and applying it to the real day-to-day challenges that people who are highly sensitive who are also parents face. So it's 67 pages, which again, for a free download ebook is really hefty. I mean, there's so much information in there. So she kind of goes through the first part of the book. It's more like a workbook format where she kind of gives you information and asks you to kind of go through some reflective thinking exercises, really applying them to your own life. And then towards the end of the book, she lists what she calls her 26 self-care tools, tips, and techniques for highly sensitive parents. And some of it was stuff I've read before and kind of figured out on my own, things like um, cutting down on stimulation. Highly sensitive people are really prone to getting overstimulated, so cutting down on physical and emotional stimulation, trying not to multitask so much, trying to be more single task focused. So some of that stuff I had already kind of come across, but Again, as a psychologist, she has put into that tip section some really great like scripts for self-talk, like when you kind of 
feel yourself getting stressed out or overstimulated, overwhelmed. Some questions you can ask yourself to kind of just stop and be in the moment and try to bring those stress levels down. So it has been super helpful. I'm so glad that I came across it. It sounds amazing. Sounds like it has the potential to help so many people. It really does. And you know, I'm so happy and so relieved that somebody wrote this book because after I wrote a couple of years ago when I wrote that 15 tips for highly sensitive parents post on Sorta Crunchy, my old blog, for a long time after that, I just always felt like, man, I should really write an ebook, some kind of follow up because the response to that post was so huge. And I know there are so many people out there that are struggling with some of these issues. But I just, first of all, I'm just flat out unqualified, you know, (laughs) just like a regular person. I don't have any training and coaching or counseling. And also, I just never was able to carve out the time to do it. So I am actually so glad that somebody else wrote it. I have really benefited from it. So let me tell you how to find it. Again, it's totally free. What you can do, she offers it as a incentive to sign up for her email list. And if you go to, if you go on Facebook and just search highly sensitive parents, she has a page. And and I, listen, this is totally unsponsored. I don't know her at all. I just happened to find it on Facebook, (laughs) luckily for me. Um, So if you search highly sensitive parents on Facebook, you'll find her page. And then on her page, there's a link where it says sign up. You click that button on her page, the sign up button, and it will take you to where you can get this free download. Again, it's the ultimate self-care guide for highly sensitive parents. And it is definitely my awesome of the week. And it has been for a couple of weeks now. All right, Rebecca. Well, I know you and I have been looking forward to this and planning this for a long time. We are welcoming to the show today, Nate Hoffer, your husband. Hi, Nate. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well, Megan. How are you today? We are great. I'm so glad that you are here. Before we dive into the rest of the episode, where we're going to be kind of picking your brain and asking you to share your wisdom and insights about the work that you do. Before we do that, I would love for us to get into the sort of awesome time machine and take a trip back in time to episode one of the show, which is called Meet Rebecca. (laughs) Uh (laughs) This is going to be fun for everybody. Uh, (laughs) Let's go back in time and listen to that very first episode where Rebecca talks about the first time that she and Nate met. So I went to that Christian school and one of my first most important memories of that college, my freshman roommate and I, we went walking one day through the campus trying to meet people and, you know, just get familiar with the campus. And there was this guy hanging out his window of his like first floor mm-hmm. dorm room. Mm-hmm. And he was playing guitar, which he did not know how to play. Oh, wow. And making up <laughs> songs and beckoning to anybody walking by to come crawl through his window. And My roommate and I, being the naive (laughs) new freshman that we were, we're like, okay, we're trying to meet people. Uh uh So we crawled through the window. Well, that was the safe thing to do, for sure. Well, I mean, it was, it's a small community and it was another college there. So it was fine. But the room was filled with this awkward collection of guys that for some reason seemed like they were all a whole lot taller than me. I'm like five, two. And they, I just remember there being very loud music. It was kind of dark. And there was a lot of really tall guys in that room. And I I was like, I feel concerned for freshman Rebecca right now. Well, it was awkward more than anything. Anyway, my my roommate and I left. 
But the highlight of that story is that I ended up marrying the man that was beckoning me to crawl through his window. Oh, my goodness. And my roommate also married a man that was in that room. Wow. Okay. Isn't that crazy? So moral of the story, take a chance, crawl through the window, you might meet your mate. Okay. Well, I love that story so much. I love to hear how people meet the people that they love in their life. And Rebecca, that has been one of my all-time favorite (laughs) stories. I genuinely was so concerned about little innocent freshman Rebecca crawling through windows. Nate, I have to ask you, was this something that you had done before? Was this like your kind of go-to for meeting new people on campus? No, it was was the the one and only time I had to do it. And it was quite successful. You know, that the the one time I I did it, I I was able to to recruit my future wife. So, you know, I should should try it more often uh, and just see just to see what happens. Not not, not that I need a wife. Life, but you know who knows you know who knows <laughs> yes, who, who will come through the window you know <laughs> um so no it, i i did not make a habit of doing that my freshman year but I'm, I'm very grateful that as fate would have it that it all worked out i am too i love that story so much okay well nate why don't you tell us just a little bit about your background kind of where you came from and how you found your way into this kind of work and just to mention again as i did at the top of the show nate is an executive director for homeless shelter and that's what we're going to be talking all about today but nate i would love to hear the story kind of of how you got to where you are right now yeah, well, thanks, Megan. Well, I love sharing it. I'm really passionate about what I do. I, I feel really fortunate and blessed uh, to be able to do what I do every day. So it's it's fun for me to talk about it, and it's something that I'm really passionate about. So thank you for giving me the opportunity and for Absolutely. having me be uh, part of the sort of awesome family now. I Yay. feel quite honored. So, <laughs> So yeah, I grew up in in Lancaster County in Pennsylvania, which is just an absolutely beautiful uh, county and beautiful area. But you know, the interesting thing about me as a kid, Megan, is I was not the kind of boy that really cared about uh, cars and um, you know muscle machines and you know I just wasn't wired that way. I, I was just really wired to be a sensitive soul, mm-hmm. and I I just remember even as a little boy, I was always more concerned with people than I was with right. toys or with cars or figuring things out. You know, it's just how I'm made. It's how I'm wired. So I, I always felt like even at a real young age that I was created to to serve and to help people. And I, I remember distinctly as as a little guy just having this sense that, you know, this is my, my calling in life is really just to serve people and to help people because I felt I was just really in tune to how people felt. And I was really in tune to wanting to make people feel better about themselves. So, you know, I ended up going to Eastern Mennonite University, uh, which is, you know, where the, the window incident happened <laughs> right. uh, with, with Rebecca. So, you know, EMU was, was fantastic. It was great. And in, when I graduated from Eastern Mennonite with a degree in business administration, you know, Megan, I was really scared about getting a job. And I know that sounds silly, but I was graduating with a degree and I was really concerned that I was going to get a job and then the next 30 years of my life was going to pass by and I was going to wonder what I had done with my right, life. And sure. I was really concerned about that. So so I didn't enter uh, the work world. I, I served for a year with Mennonite Central Committee in Kingston, Jamaica and did a volunteer assignment. And that that really helped shape and form my passion even more so for nonprofit work. So after that year, I came back. Uh, Rebecca had graduated by that at that point in time from Eastern Mennonite and 
I just started my career in nonprofit work, and it's it's what I've been doing ever since for the last ten plus years now. So I just love uh, ministry and nonprofit organizations, and I love the mess of it because it's messy, but I also love the beauty of it because yeah. it's awfully beautiful as well. Absolutely, that is so fascinating. I have to interject this, and I'm sure that half of the audience is wondering about what I'm going to say, and then the other half of the audience is going to be rolling their eyes. I think we've determined that Nate's an ENFJ, right, in the Myers-Briggs system. <laughs> yeah. I just love it. I love that even when you were growing up, that you were so driven to care about people. That is so classic ENFJ. It makes my heart so happy. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I've, let me tell you, I've heard more about ENFJs <laughs> And PBNJs and all of all of the all of the other personality types over the last couple of months. I mean, Rebecca's constantly diagnosing me. Um, he's uh, in he's the house, put up so with a lot. I have put up with a lot. So, no, I'm I'm a I'm a true extrovert through and through, and um, an NFJ as well. I guess. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! But, um, I love it. I love it. ENFJs truly are driven to to make the paths for people better. And that can take on a lot of different roles and, and it lives out in a lot of different ways, but I cannot think of a more classic calling to answer than to be a director for a shelter that that brings hope and healing and shelter to people who are homeless. So mm -hmm. uh, we wanted to talk about this today. It's not our usual topic on Sorta Awesome. However, the question of how do we interact with people who are homeless? How do we interact with the organization that care for people who are homeless, that is something that all of us can relate to, no matter our age or stage of life. This is a reality in, in our country and certainly around the world. And so we wanted to bring Nate in because there are probably, uh, you can probably think of lots of misconceptions that people have about working with people who are homeless. So we brought Nate in to ask him about some of these misconceptions. Nate, the first one I want to ask you about that I have heard a lot, certainly growing up, and I still hear people mention this from time to time, is that people who are homeless, they, have, they are that way because they have made bad decisions in their lives. What would you say when you hear, what do you say when you hear people bring up that idea? Yeah, well, and I love when people bring that up because I listen. I Megan, I love challenging people uh, in in how they think and and what they think about poverty and folks who are experiencing homelessness. And I like to be challenged myself. So I listen. I love engaging in these conversations and talking about it. So there's two things that I that I typically say. Uh, one is uh, I would I would really challenge people and and give them you know my experience of eight plus years now of being the director of a homeless shelter that well, that's just not true. Uh, you know, there's there's plenty of people that I've I've interacted with that I've um, that I've spent time with that I've gotten to know that I've befriended people who have needed the services of our shelter who uh, by no fault of their own uh, have found themselves in a situation where they're experiencing homelessness. And so there's lots of, you know, folks who have never experienced poverty or haven't lived in poverty. Boy, it's awfully easy for us. To, to be critical and to be judgmental and to, to look at someone who's going through a hard time and saying, boy, well, I'm not, I'm not like you because I've done certain things in my life. The reality, Megan, is there's an awful lot of people uh, in, our, in our communities all across America, and I know especially where we live, there's a lot of folks who have not made bad decisions. They're trying awfully hard. They're doing all the right things, um, but it can be hard. Life can just be hard for people sometimes. Sure. And I 
um, just uh, some of the scenarios that we often see, our, our program, we serve moms and we serve single men. So we, we, we serve everybody and, and kind of see uh, all kinds of situations. But, you know, it's especially difficult for young single moms, um, especially if they're not getting any support from the father of their child. If they're having to pay for daycare, if they're working a minimum wage job, it can be really difficult for them to get ahead. And it's not that um, unthinkable that they might end up in a situation where they have nowhere to go. And I know that uh, for Rebecca and I, you know, we're really fortunate in that we have a real strong family structure and family network and a church family that I know that if something ever happened to us, that we would have people that we could lean on and that would support us. Right. You know, when we think of poverty, it's not just finances. People also experience poverty in their relationships. And when you don't have a good network of people around you, and that might not be for any fault of your own. But if you just weren't raised in a good family that's well-connected, that's very supportive, that's engaged and involved in your life, if you don't have that in your life, if you if a crisis happens in, in your life where, where you're experiencing a setback, you might not have that safety net. Um, and we see that an awful lot, too, with the folks that we serve, that um, you know their, their homelessness is circumstantial and they just don't have folks in their life who can... Uh, raise them up and who can who can help them and sustain them. So there's, listen, there's lots of reasons why people experience homelessness. Uh, you know, there's uh, there's an awfully large gap uh, between minimum wage and what a living wage is, and um, that's not a political statement. It's just a fact. There's a lot of people who uh, are making seven fifty eight dollars an hour. When in reality, where we live, you need to be you need to be making on average fifteen dollars an hour to afford an apartment. So, so there's a lot of people who are working; they're trying hard, but you know, to make it, they would need to be working ninety hours a week at minimum wage levels to afford housing. So, affordable housing is an issue. Unemployment's obviously an issue. Mental health contributes to homelessness. So, getting back to your question, Megan, what I say—that's what I say in a very long answer <laughs> to people who tell me <laughs> right. that um, you know folks who are homeless are homeless because they've done it to themselves. So, so that's a long answer. That the sh- the short answer, the second answer that I give that isn't as nice is I say, so what? So what if they've done it to themselves? Does that does that prevent us? <laughs> Should that stop us from wanting to help them? Um, you know, I, I don't understand that mentality where we can look at somebody who has made poor choices and has made bad decisions and 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 say that because they've done it to themselves, they've cut themselves off from receiving help. I, I don't understand that. It's not part of my mentality. That's not part of my faith. I don't think that's what we're asked to do in life. And And so... So I challenge people with that. So what? (laughs) So what if they have made some bad decisions? Right. That's a great response, both the short answer and the long one. But yeah, I think that is very poignant that regardless of how a person has found themselves in that situation, that doesn't mean they're any less worthy of receiving help and receiving support to bring hope to their lives. Okay. You kind of touched a little bit on your faith and how that drives you in providing care and dignity and resources to people who are homeless. I know that having grown up in uh, in Christian church culture, that sometimes some of the most unloving things that I've heard people 
say about homeless people have been from Christians. Things like, well, they're homeless because they have just ignored God. They have just taken God out of their lives and then they ended up homeless. Or I even heard, you know, my my grandparents who have um, since passed on, they were very longtime Christians and church-going people, and they were very fond of saying that God helps those who help themselves. And that's a very nice little American saying. However, it's not in the Bible. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But I do think that a lot of times there are people who are maybe of the Christian faith or maybe another faith who use those kinds of ideas that, well, if you just had more God in your life, you wouldn't have ended up here. How do you respond when people kind of try to, to mix the two together? That, and how can we kind of separate our belief that God helps those who help themselves from the realities of homelessness? Right. People do think that. That is a widely held belief, you know. I'm active in our church. I encounter that in our church. The the organization that I that I work for, we we receive a lot of church support. So I I mean some of the most ignorant statements uh that I that I hear are folks who sit in pews on Sunday mornings. And it's just the reality of it. But I think I would just challenge people to think about this. Um poverty is not a character flaw. Poverty is not a character flaw. Because someone is poor, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with their morality or with their character. And I think that's I think that's the root of the problem with people's misconceptions and ignorance is that they somehow through their life they have been taught and have learned that if you're poor, you have a you have a sort of moral deficiency about you. And that's just real ignorant thinking, uh, and it's not true, and it's not factual, and it's not loving, and it's certainly not productive in any shape or form. So I, I like to challenge people with that, and I would really challenge people, hey, check your own heart, <laughs> right? It, it, and think to yourself, is that what I think? Because it's not. Poverty and homelessness is not a character flaw. Listen, people who are poor and people who are experiencing homelessness, it's circumstantial. It's, it doesn't define who they are. People aren't homeless. They are experiencing homelessness. Right. Megan, if you, were, if you were sick and you, had, you were stricken with a disease that you, you didn't deserve, that you didn't want, that you didn't ask for, if this came upon you, you know, would you think it would be normal or right for people to come up to you and say, well, if you, if you had more faith or more God in your life, this wouldn't have happened to you? You no, wouldn't. Course, you would, yeah, you would think would it, you would you would think it would be very hurtful and very wouldn't hurtful. be. But and it's the parallel is there with folks who are experiencing homelessness and who are, in, are experiencing poverty. Uh, listen, they don't want to struggle through life, uh, right? They 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 would like to be able to to provide and to not uh, worry about where they're going to sleep tonight and where their next meal is going to come from. But through circumstances and you know, boy, life is just hard sometimes. Um, it's hit them so. So poverty is is a moment in their life. It doesn't define completely who they are. It's an experience, and it is not a character flaw. I mean, I've been through many rough times in my life, but my rough time didn't look like homelessness. It could have, but it didn't. My rough time looked like something else. Megan, I'm sure you've gone through rough times in your life. It doesn't mean that God turned his back on you. Rebecca, the same way. You know, when, when people are poor and when people are homeless, it's it's out in the open. It's visible. Like right. their hardship is out there for everybody to see. So it's really easy for us to say, well, look at that person going to the food bank or going to the food pantry or paying with their food stamp card. Or look at that person who's taking public transportation because they don't have a car. And, and you know, it's easy 
easy for us to see their hardship. The hardships that you and I go through, you know, we're we're able to tuck them away a little bit better, and you know, you know, hide them away so people can't see them. But listen, we we in life we all struggle, yes. and we all need help. Um, so the the fact that someone doesn't have a lot of money doesn't mean that God doesn't love them, and it doesn't mean that they need more of Jesus in their life. Um, that's I, I've, I've the the some of the most faith filled people I've ever met have been residents of my shelter. They haven't been folks that I go to church with. They, have, they haven't been people that, um, that I run into in my Christian circles. They're, they're, we have many people who, who need help at our shelter program who love God and who believe that God loves them. Um, and they just have this, and, but they understand that, you know, I'm going through a trial right now, but God's going to bring me through it. So, so it's really hateful and hurtful thinking uh, to, to think that folks who are struggling financially in life are not as good as you. Uh, right. That you that you are somehow morally uh, superior to them, and that God likes you better than He likes them. Right, right. That's so true. All of us do have poverty in our lives. It may not be material poverty. It may be relational. It may be spiritual. It may be your physical health. All of us have places where we are poor in a really specific way. And I think that is so true, Nate, what you said. It's just that when people are materially poor, when they are lacking resources, it is a public thing that Mm -hmm. people can see and then feel like that they could comment on. Whereas, you know, most of us, if we think about the areas of our lives that we feel the most poor in, would be horrified if people were making public comment on those things. Mm -hmm. So, right. And the same, I would say, can go the other way, where we can look at people with like so much money and then we assume, oh, well, only if we had that life, but then the same is still true. Well, we don't know exactly what's in their bank account, despite the new car or the big house. We don't know what their marriage looks like. Like everybody has some dirt and some grit in their lives. Right. You just can't always see it. That's so Mm -hmm. true. All right. Well, this third misconception I want to talk to you about has to do with donations and how those of us who um, are are making donations to uh, maybe a shelter like yours, Nate, or other organizations in our communities and our attitudes towards this. And Rebecca, I would really love to hear from you too on this because I know you hear lots of stories, I'm sure, from Nate about what people have actually brought to donate. So the third misconception I wanted to ask you about is when people assume that people who are homeless should just be grateful for any donations that they get. I'm sure that is a belief and a practice that you have bumped up against quite a bit in your work. Yeah, and this is another great misconception that I'm so happy that we're talking about because I get um, a little animated talking about it because <laughs> I feel I feel real passionate about it. And listen, I know that pe- most people have good intentions in their heart. That if they if they really thought about what they were doing, that hopefully they would they would take a corrective action and change it. So working at a shelter. I have really been witness to over the years that, you know, it seems like the vast majority of people want to give leftovers and want to give things that they don't, they wouldn't wear themselves or they wouldn't eat themselves. Um, But that because people are poor and that because people are lacking, that they they should be grateful for it. And there's an element of that, Megan, that I I get and that I understand. I mean, yeah, we do want to be good stewards. And if we have leftovers, we have excess in our own personal homes. Let's give it to folks who don't have. I I understand that. 
and I and I agree to that. There's there's a there's an element of that. But but here's what I would again challenge people to think about, and it's something that I challenge myself with a lot. Are are we giving those who are poor? Are we giving them our best, or are we giving them the rest? Right. And I would suggest that we give our best and not always giving them the rest. I've seen clothes come in with multiple stains, holes, things that you wouldn't wear. Thing, sure. you, know, you, you throw those things away. I've right. seen food that have, has been expired for two to three years oh, wow. with mold on it. Expired baby food was it, donated before. Expired baby food. And again, I think somewhere in, these, in, in the minds of people, they're thinking, well, it's better than nothing. Right, right. right. Um, or it's better than throwing this away. Or it's sure. better than throwing it away. But but what here? Here's the point that I really want to get across, and th- and this is really at the core of what I believe, is that folks who don't have and folks who are lacking, you can really make a great impact on them and in their hearts and in their lives by giving them things that they feel like they don't deserve, and by giving them things that they feel like they could never get. So so instead of giving the rest, how about going out and 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 purchasing some food or purchasing a, an article of clothing and giving something that is considered the best and, and helping them feel dignified and valued and cared for. And when and when someone receives that, t- that type of love and compassion from someone that they don't even know, boy, Megan, that can really turn someone's heart around. It can give them a sense of hope and optimism. It can help someone really look forward to to the rest of the day and have a sense of belief in themselves, really. So, so when you give somebody the best and not just the rest all the time, it has the potential and it has the, the power to potentially really change their life. And I don't mean to sound overly dramatic about that, but I've seen it happen. When, sure, when people yeah. receive things that, that they feel like, why am I getting this? And, and when they feel like it's just they don't deserve it, it really does something to their self-value and to their confidence in, their, in themselves. And when you, when you, I, I want you to think about this. When, when someone is coming into a shelter situation, imagine where their confidence level is at. Imagine where their self-esteem is at. And I want you to think about that the next time you drop something off and donate something at a food pantry or at a homeless shelter. These people are at such a low point emotionally in their lives. Don't feed into that by giving them something that you wouldn't eat or you wouldn't wear yourself. Give them something that's dignified, that helps them feel loved, and that brings them back up uh, to to where they need to be. So... Uh, I would challenge everybody to think about going above and beyond and really helping people see themselves for who they truly are. Something really amazing that Nate's Shelter has been doing has been these amazing renovations and redecorating, especially within the shelter that serves the women and the children. I walk into these rooms and I am telling you they are better decorated and more updated than my own home. And it's awesome. It's really, really fantastic. Instead of walking into a place that makes you feel stress just because it's not, it's not comfortable, it's cold, it's sterile. Instead, they have made a huge point to make this feel like you have so much in your life to worry about. You do not need to worry that you are living here and that here feels icky and cold and not like home. We want this to be home for you. We want this to be a luxury place for you so that you can take all of that stress and mental energy and focus that on the other things in your life that you need to get sorted out and not be so concerned about 
oh, my bedroom is depressing. This place is disgusting. It's not like that at all. They've really done an amazing job there. What I'm hearing so much of you both say, it really speaks to things that I've heard other people say about serving homeless people is just to start with assigning them the basic human dignity that we all want to have and to be treated with dignity and respect. And when we start there, a lot of these other misconceptions are just going to kind of fall away because we're going to see them as other human beings who are part of the human experience. And we can let go of that judgmentalness and really see them for who they are. So I was wondering, Nate, if you have suggestions, are there things, and I I realize this might vary from community to community, but if you had like a preferred list of things that people were going to donate, what kinds of things would those be? Is clothing a good thing to donate? What are, yeah. what are some things that we can be thinking about as if we do want to give the best? Like what right. do shelters kind of universally usually need to have donated? Clothing is great because everyone needs to wear it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's also probably, I know for us, the, the most heavily donated item. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it just comes in daily. Clothing does. And we... And so then that also creates more work than for the volunteers and for the employees. Sometimes donations and a flood of donations could actually be burdensome to some extent. Right. So clothing's good because we need it, but we don't need it nearly as much as we get it. And as far as food goes, you know, non-perishable items, again, it's sort of like clothing. Those are things that that we'll get a lot of because they're sitting around in, in people's food pantries and they're cleaning them out and, you know, maybe they haven't hit the expiration date. So we get the jar of uh, peanut butter or something like that. But what, so to answer your question, you know, whenever someone asks me what's most helpful, I say, you know, next time, if you could kindly consider, next time you're at the grocery store, when you buy a gallon of milk for yourself, can you buy a gallon of milk for us too? Right. Or when you pick up a carton of eggs, can you pick up a carton of eggs for us too? Or when you buy a roll of paper towels, can you get us some too? Consumables, in, right. in other words, to answer your question, Megan. Uh, so if you imagine in our program, we have 55 people every day uh, living in our homes. So, you can, so imagine if you had 55 people in your house, you'd be going to the grocery store every day, right? right? Yes. To buy milk, to buy eggs, to buy juice, uh, things, that, things that don't have long shelf lives, those are the things that are really most useful as far as food goes. And then I mentioned the paper towels and the toilet paper and the cleaning products, things that you would need in your home. Right. Um, so those, because if we don't have those things donated to us, that's coming out of our, our budget and that's coming, you know, we're, we're spending our own money to get it. So those types of donations are, are really useful. And um, I'd, I'd love if I could, because uh, talking about this, uh, you know, misconception of, uh, people who are poor, you know, we should just give them anything and, and really, you know, challenging that. I'd like to touch on another thing if I can quickly. Sure, of course. Uh, because, you know, there's everyone in their own mind has, or in their own life, I should say, has encountered a situation where they've maybe walked past someone who was asking for change sure. or, or asking for money, right? Yes. And there's, al- there's always this debate of, you know, what do you do, yes. right? What, what are we supposed to do? We don't yes. want to give them money because they're going to go buy beer or mm-hmm. buy drugs. And I don't want to perpetuate their habits. So I would just, again, challenge people to think, you know, and, and this ties into our conversation about what do we give, you know, those who are poor? Are we giving our best or are we giving the rest? I think 
in those situations, everyone has to determine in their own heart what they're supposed to do. But you're supposed to give something. And and what you give might just be a nice word or it might just be dignity, but it isn't turning your head. It isn't being judgmental. Th- those aren't things that you give people in those situations. But I, I, I think you're you're supposed to give something in those situations. And it's, it's up to each person to determine in their own heart, okay, I'm going to give this guy $5 or I'm going to give this lady $20 or I'm going to, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to, you know, engage this person in conversation and maybe pray for them. Or I'm just going to say hi. And I'm just going to acknowledge their humanity and acknowledge their existence rather than turning my head and ignoring them. So again, you know, when people come across those situations, just be thinking in your own heart and in your own mind, you know, I should really give this person something. What is it? that I should give. Well, what is your philosophy on giving people cash? Well, I'm a real, uh, as you know, Rebecca, I am an overly generous person and I would give um, everything away that we owned if you would allow me to. <laughs> so, you know, asking me that question is, is, is a dangerous thing because, you know, I believe the best in people. I really do. I'm an optimist. Um, I believe in people. I think it served me well in life, and it, it obviously has some weaknesses, too, about it. So to answer your question, Rebecca, in those situations, I'm, I'm going to help that person out. If they're asking me for money, I'm not going to grill them uh, 25 times and ask them for their credit report and ask them for references and ask them for their job history and their W-2 statement before <laughs> right. I give them $5, right? Um, because here, here's my philosophy on that. And, I, and again, I know that I'm – when it comes to things like this, I'm I'm a real liberal guy. I understand that. So I'm not, you know, some people might disagree with me, but I'm okay with that. Megan, where was the last store you went to? Let me just ask you. Um, well, I was just at Sprouts, a, a grocery oh, store here. Okay. So Megan, when you were at the grocery store there, when you handed, you had money with you, right? Yes. Okay. And when you paid for your, before you handed the cashier money, did you ask that cashier, I want to know how the owner of this business is going to spend spend money. <laughs> no, did I did you not. Say, I, I, I want the owner of this business to stand here right now. I want them to take a drug test. I want I want I want to know what they're spending their money on. If they're going to a casino, I am not spending my money right. here. No, I don't um, know anything about the business practices of Sprouts. Okay, yeah, you I didn't do that. Here. But yeah. but Megan, Megan, somehow we think it's okay. Right. Yes. For when people who are poor to be super invasive and super judgmental about what they do with their money. Right. Um so again, I, listen, I know not everyone – some people are going to listen to this and say, well, that's that's just not being you know, wise, right? And that's okay. I can be unwise uh, because I'm happy uh, <laughs> to, to love people um, and to believe in the best in people. And, and the bottom line is to not be judgmental right. to people. I'm, right. I'm, I just really try to guard my heart about uh, holding judgment against people. And listen, if I – if I don't care what Walmart's doing with my money, why do I care what the guy who's begging me for money is going to do with my money? And in disclosure here, you know, we are talking about panhandling, perhaps like in small town USA. We do recognize that there are things such as human trafficking through panhandling in other parts of the world and maybe even in some major cities. But I think Nate's general philosophy of let's just chill out and maybe trust people a little bit more um, still can really ring true too. Yeah. Well, it's not that you listen, some, someone might make a bad decision with the money that you give them, but there's plenty of people who make bad decisions. Your friends, your family members, sure. your coworkers make bad decisions with your help, with you enabling them in ways that you sure. probably don't even know. Why, why are we so critical and judgmental and hateful really towards folks who are poor? So I, I just would challenge people in that. 
Yeah. So what about people who feel very conflicted about the idea of giving cash and they want to do something instead, like maybe have like a, I don't know, not like a gift basket, but like a little goodie bag in their car or something that they can give instead. What, besides cash, what are some helpful things maybe to have on hand or to do for somebody who's asking for money? Yeah. Just having someone really analyze their own hearts and figure out what can I do so that I'm not acting in in a critical or judgmental way towards someone who's asking me for help. So whether that's, you know, keeping your car stocked with snacks or bus tokens, right? Or something, something that you can give, but, um, or, or finding a, you know, local organizations to get involved with and support and making sure that you're doing something about it. It's just, I just think that it's scary how we can sort of place people who are poor and living in poverty and homeless, how, how they really are the outcasts in our society. And, and it's, if we have to be very um, intentional about not doing that and about making sure that we're, we're loving them and caring for them and being supportive of them in any way that we can. So great. Such a great insight. Well, Rebecca, I know that you have gotten to experience living up close and personal with what it's like to to see how a nonprofit organization, how it operates. You've gotten to see a lot of that. And you were telling me that you even have had some of your own misconceptions about how nonprofits work, how their funds are appropriated, what their overhead costs are, what they should be, all of that stuff. You've had some of your own beliefs challenged in that way. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the things that you have learned? A while back, I watched a TED Talk by Dan Pallotta, and it was recorded in March 2013. And that TED Talk, along with just observing from the outside Nate's nonprofit organization, has really challenged how I think and feel about the way that nonprofits spend their money and about the way that donors believe that nonprofits should be spending their money. So a common phrase that we all would maybe say and accept is you get what you pay for, right? So no one who's training for a marathon would go out and buy a $10 pair of shoes, right? Instead, they're going to go for the $50 or that might even be low with the $150 shoes to get the best that they can because that's going to perform the best for them. And the same can be applied to nonprofits in their budgets. You get what you pay for, as well as the idea that you have to spend money to make money. You know, Dan Pelota explained that people freak out about the overhead in nonprofits because they see it as cutting into the amount that people can then use to help people. But the reality is sometimes that when you increase the money that you spend on a project, you're also increasing the money that you raise for your project. And Dan Pelota said he was organizing this nonprofit that was raising all this money. People found out about the massive amount of overhead that was involved and people started bailing and they lost all of their funding. When the reality is that massive overhead was leading to a massive return. We also don't like it when people make a lot of money in nonprofits and that there's a lot of overhead and it just doesn't feel right in our culture, right? We don't like the idea that the top CEOs of these major nonprofit organizations are coming home with these big paychecks, despite the fact that that's such a large job. And Dan Pelota said in his TED Talk, which I'll quote here and we'll link in the show notes, he says, we have a visceral reaction to the idea that anyone would make very much money helping people. Interesting that we don't have a visceral reaction to the notion that people would make very much money not helping other people. Oh, that's good. 
So you want to make $50 million selling violent video games to kids? Go for it. We'll put you on the cover of Wire magazine. But you want to make a half a million dollars trying to cure kids of malaria, and you are considered a parasite yourself. Interesting. That is very, that's a very good insight. Yeah. So one thing that Nate and I have talked about, and this is not about me trying to get on a soapbox, trying to get my husband raised. We are, feel very <laughs> fortunate for his salary. That's not the issue here. But that we've talked about this idea that when you go into the nonprofit world, you're almost expected to live a life of sacrifice. Sure, yes. That you're not expected to have the same level of income with the same exact job and responsibilities if you were in the for-profit world. And my question and my thing that I wonder so much is how much better would this world be if we eliminated that need for sacrifice and the nonprofit world no longer felt like a a second-rate choice for people coming out of business school? And instead, you take those talented, amazing people and you actually reward them for what they are worth, not just in the for-profit world, but also in the nonprofit world. If we took all those skills and all those talents and we paid people what they deserved, how much better would the world be? That is very thought-provoking, very challenging. Rebecca, I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay, before we wrap up, Nate, I would love to hear from you. This work that you do every day, what is the most awesome part of your job? Uh the thing that I just love about uh, my work is, you know, listen, we're able to participate in people just turning their lives around and being real success stories. So to see somebody come in just really dejected and frustrated and depressed and angry, no money, no job, no credit, no friends, no relationship, no car, and to see them leave having some of those things intact, moving out into their own apartment with the job, with some money, with a vehicle, and to see them just turn their lives around and to, to see the gratitude that they have and the community that we're able to build. Uh, Megan, I have the greatest job in the world. I really do. So I'm, I'm really, really thankful. Oh, I love that. I am so thankful, Nate, that you took the time to come and talk about these things with us. Because like I said, when it comes to people who are homeless, we all have these long-standing beliefs and ideas. And I'm so thankful to hear from somebody who is just like boots on the ground in the midst of the work with helping people have hope and um, a chance for a new beginning in their lives. So that's so great. Thank you again so much, Nate. Thanks for having me. It, it was a blast to be uh, on sort of sort of awesome, and I hope we can do it again sometime. We would maybe, love maybe to do with that. It, maybe with a lighter topic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, we would love to follow up with you all with some of your ideas and some of the things that you have come away from listening to Nate's wisdom today about people who are homeless. You can find Rebecca and I um, on social media. Rebecca, remind us where we can find you all around the web. You can find me at simplyrebecca.com and then on. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Simply Rebecca. Okay, and just a reminder, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can come and talk to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. And we are also on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffert, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at sortaawesomeshow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at progermusic.com. 
We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.